Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey, Get to Vet listeners, this is Mike. And now for my personal disclaimer, although I am active duty military, I'm not an official spokesperson of the United States Navy. Any of my views expressed on the Get to Vet podcast are based on my personal experience. Thanks for listening. Hey there, Get to Vet, Trevor Maxwell here and with our almost soon to be uh, civilian counterpart. Oh yes, three days, three days away from 30 and 21 days. Mike Riggs. Yep. Hey, uh, today I'm excited to talk to our guest about, I'll let her introduce herself, but, um, you know, me, especially in the last few years, I had a lot of, uh, issues, body stuff just got beat down from, you know, the majority of a 20 year career in special operations. Um, it's tough on you. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff physically that happens to you. This is why I'm really big on telling people to take care of all their VA disability stuff at their transition because that stuff compounds over time. So uh, Dr. Teresa Larson, I will let her introduce herself, is here today to talk to us a little bit about some of that. Uh, Thanks, Trevor and Mike. Well, I became a doctor of PT um, not right after I got out of the Marine Corps. I was a Marine officer for four years and um, didn't know what to do in my transition, probably like many veterans well, not probably like many veterans, um, it's a challenging time figuring out what to do next. Like, how are you going to continue to serve the way you did and also have the same kind of camaraderie, which it actually is really hard to find. Um, and so when, when I got out, um, I was an engineer, so engineering really wasn't what I wanted to continue to do after the Marine Corps, knowing you both were EOD, like I worked with a lot of EOD techs. Um, and I, uh, but engineering wasn't really my passion. Being a platoon commander, that's what I was in the Marine Corps, was. I loved serving people. I loved having a platoon. But it was just the work was like, ah, you know, I don't see myself doing this for 30 years when I get out. So when I got out, um, I, you know, played a year of professional softball, which is an uncommon. <laughs> I was a pitcher in college. I went to Villanova and did very well and then played a year of professional softball just to kind of something I always wanted to do. And I think I, I thought I was good enough to play. And I was overseas in Italy, um, not a bad place to play softball, but while I was over there, I actually injured myself pretty bad, broke my big toe. And if you've ever broken your big toe, you know, that really sucks. Um, cause you use it for everything for the most part. And especially if you walk around getting around in life. And so I worked with a sports medicine doctor out there to rehabilitate. And I was like, you know, I think this will probably pay better than what I'm doing right now, playing softball. And I actually am really interested in it. So um, I went, I, when I finished my season, I came back to the States and started doing my prerequisites for, you know, PT school. And anyway, long story short, it took me five years to, to do that course of study, which also was, you know, a roller coaster. Um, but, you know, that ultimately brought me to what I'm doing now, which is I run a human performance business. Um, recently partnered with Navy SEAL commander, John McCaskill and um, men talking mindfulness podcast, actually, because they talk a lot about mindfulness and movement, um, which is what I do. And the mindfulness piece, honestly, is more of my own healthcare that I provide myself emotional healthcare. Like I don't teach mindfulness like they do, but I teach the movement side. And, you know, I've kind of crossed the spectrum of movement um, as a PT, like, well, you may think of me as like, oh, you rehabilitate pain and you work with pain. Well, no, I, I actually focus more on how to improve your performance. And yeah, we'll focus on your pain a little, but more your function and getting you to perform well in life, whatever you want to do, whether it's playing with your kids, doing CrossFit, doing Spartan races, just being a healthy person. Um, so that brought me to what I'm doing now, which is, you know, I live in a mountain town, which has been a dream of ours and run a remote business. And it's, that's, that's been that was, that's been my dream. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you got to do that. Um, and I, I think Thank the you. work that you're doing is, is definitely applicable to a lot of um, veterans. Always like that. You've probably seen that before. They talk about vet bod and they're like, what's vet bod? And they're like, it's dad bod with more knee pain. And uh, so 
I definitely suffer from that right now. Um, okay. Well, yeah. we can hit, we can take care of that, Trevor. Don't worry. Yeah. So uh, it's just something that happens, right? When you go through that lifestyle and it's very hard on your body, especially people that get into the combat arms type stuff where you're walking around with all this heavy stuff on and you're told to suck it up for years of your life. And you don't, I mean, I was kind of the same way. I, I had so much stuff I didn't get treated for. Um, it was when I went and started talking to uh, our magic man there in Little Creek, Doc Jensen, uh, was our physical therapist, and he started working on me, and he's like, yeah, he, you know, I started, I would tell him about something, and then he would go through and do whatever it was he was doing, and he's like, I'll bet you have this and this and this, don't you? And I'm like, yeah. Um, so yeah. I can relate to that, right? And I, I have good days and bad days. Yeah. Um, you know, last year, I you know, I didn't do a good job of keeping myself flexible and I had really bad back spasms. I ended up going to the ER and they gave me, what did they do? They gave me two doses of morphine and two flexorol. And I was still in a lot of pain. And then they gave me a Valium and a Dilaudid and I was still in a lot of pain. Um, so yeah. I went through, you know, I got done with that, worked with a physical therapist and since then, I've been a lot better about maintaining flexibility and all that stuff, um, which, you know, is important. And then, you know, yeah. so, yeah, the, the, the old adage, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure or whatever that was. Well, it's, uh, yeah, the, the thing is, is if you really think about it, if you were to just spend 10 minutes a day at a minimum, just doing some body maintenance right? Movement, like motion is lotion. Like if you remember anything from this, what I say today, it's like motion is lotion. That's going to, to be the body. title of the, that's going to be the title yeah. of the episode. I mean, if you think about it, like, like you, you, I mean, I've worked with many people with back spasms and I mean, I am considered a conservative, you know, health provider clearly because I prescribe movement, but it is the lowest hanging fruit of medicine. So that should be the first thing that is prescribed and versus before you do any hard narcotics, right? And for some situations, yeah, like it's helpful to create calm, but pain, I mean, we can go into the science of pain. It's, um, you know, fusions, spinal fusions. Um, I mean, why, like, like if you can kind of even think about uh, phantom limb pain, why do people experience pain when there's no limb, right? It, it really does, is very telling of pain. Like your pain is, is very much a subjective thing. Um, and it's, it's gotta, you have to have an empowering way to treat it or else it's going to be very hard to heal from it. And narcotics is not the way. Um, again, I'm not uh, able to, you know, sit, tell you to not take medication or take it, but I would highly advise anyone listening to, to get some movement care in their life because it really is like so therapeutic. Um, even on some of the most severe herniations, disc bulges issues I've worked with. So anyway, I also would like to preface that I have two little, little children at home. And if you see someone walking through the door knocking, they're just going to have to like add to this podcast, but they're a big part of my life. <laughs> it's fine. I've had my boys yeah. do that before too. Yeah. <laughs> when we do like YouTube live and I'm like, Hey, say hello to the internet. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. So injuries are a big part of people's lives, but you know, we can reframe the way we look at it. Like injury is an ally, not an enemy. Like look at it as a way to help yourself heal versus something like, Oh, woe is me. Like I'm, my life is done. Like I'm hurt my back. I've hurt my knee. Like I can't do the active things I used to do. No, you can, but you need to respect the healing time and actually do something about it. So the first thing you can do to empower yourself to get better, healthier is like literally give yourself more motion, like go out and do some squats, go out and do some push-ups. go out and do some stretches, right? Like obviously my work is around guiding people in the right direction with what they can focus on, but you know, for your own good, like going out for a walk in the morning, no, with no eyeglasses on, like no sunglasses or anything on the naked eyeballs, very specific. I know naked eyeballs, not naked naked eyeballs unless you're at Berkeley um I'm glad you, know, you clarified that yeah I just uh. wanted to make sure you know <laughs> now I'm going to see a bunch of naked people running around 
um, no, it's like really helpful for your body. Right. And, um, obviously I do enjoy resistance training. I like yoga. I don't like doing it for hours and hours. I just like to do it to, you know, 10, 20 minutes a day. You don't need much. Like actually John and I talk about this a lot on our, we run this mindfulness and movement experience and, um, you know, knocking down that first domino, like if you can just, so a lot of veterans and I, you probably can speak to this is like, it's kind of an all or nothing way of thinking, ah, shit, I can't get an hour of workout in, forget it. Or I can't get, like, I wanted to do six days a week and I only did three, forget it. You know, like I've been there. I've been there where I'm like, I set these expectations that are really hard to reach. And, you know, there's even that shaming of like, oh man, I should be able to reach that. Like I'm, I'm, I was EOD or I was a Marine or I was a professional athlete. Well, no, like that's, those are in, in your life. If you were really to take a step back and look at your life right now, like, look at the, the, your life has changed since you've gotten out. It doesn't mean you're not serving people anymore, but your life looks different. I have two children. I run a business. I'm not running missions in Iraq, right? I am working to be a healthy human. So learning to accept that as like, I'm a powerful, strong woman right now where I am. And I was as a Marine, but my life looks different. So I am going to make sure I add movement and, and emotional health into that new, my new normal. So accepting that new normal is like, okay, you know what? I've got 10 or 20 minutes a day that I'm going to spend. It's not going to look like crazy PT for an hour. It's going to look like a lot of like prehab rehab stuff for my body to help it feel better, but that's okay. Um, so I think that's something really important for veterans to, to know, acknowledge. And even John and I talk about this openly is like, just knock down that first domino give yourself a goal of like 10 minutes of movement in the morning or meditation. And you'll see the spiral of, you know, other things healthy going on in your life. Like you'll start to be more mindful of the food you eat and the way you treat your family and, you know, just other things, but like, it doesn't take much to get that domino going. I think I want to try that uh, walking the first thing in the morning. On the naked eyeballs. Yeah. Naked eyeballs. Of course it's Mm -hmm. dark now when I get up, but well, We'll see. Yeah. Well, once the sun comes up, so what it does is this is a big word I'm going to use and I'm not an expert in it, but sleep. Like once you get up and you, um, start to access, um, natural light from the sun outside or the morning light, it, it, um, the, the, there's this thing called the suprachiasmic nuclei in the brain stem. And that releases helps, um, stimulate the pituitary gland and release cortisol. Um, and so it actually impacts. So by getting out and getting the natural light on your eyes starts to get your circadian rhythm, your circadian rhythm is going 24 seven, but it helps you set yourself up for success for sleep later versus just being inside and like not having, yeah, you may see the light through a screen, but it's not the same as when you're physically outside with no filter. So that's why people struggle with sleep these days because they're stuck inside or they're around fluorescent lights or they're always on their phone or their computer. So that's, yeah, I I did not know that. So yeah, I want to try, I want to try that this week. So I get, I get that too, because I used to be that same way as like, oh, this month or this year, I'm going to do this. And gradually I was able to kind of grind that down from, you know, this year to this month to this week to now I, I try to think of it like more like this day. Like if I didn't get to do it yesterday, so what, uh, how do yeah. I figure out how to make it happen today? It seems like we've came, we've come so far in the last 10 years or so, I think, and especially in the military from, you, you know, just crush yourself and take 800 milligram Motrin in to like this whole body approach of, you know, mind, body, spirit type of thing to where we're not just masking the symptoms anymore. We're actually getting to the source of things, you know, and to your point about, especially like the sleep, I can't tell you how valuable that that has become to me because I did probably better part of a decade and maybe 15 years of sleeping like complete crap, uh, getting up in the morning, and just intake of coffee, probably until I would drive home because I'd be afraid that I'd fall asleep at a red light. And then, you know, 
by the time you want to go to bed, you're like, well, I'm kind of still amped up. Uh, I probably better drink a couple beers or whatever, some cocktail to bring me back down. And then you rinse and repeat that and you sleep four hours a night, you know, for crappy sleep too. And so the, you know, how far that throws you out of balance, you know, both your cognitive and your physical and everything else. And then you finally figure out, I mean, almost every EOD tech I know has a CPAP because we've all been blown up so many times and exposure to blasts and everything like that. I, I would assume I'm, I'm not, I don't have a DR in front of my name, but the vast majority of us that have been in this profession for such a long time. I mean, when we all go on like camping trips or something, it's, it's funny because we all go to bed, we all fire up our CPAPs and we all go to sleep. It's hilarious. But, um, you know, the, when I finally got that stupid thing, I started sleeping very well. And then I started mixing in maybe, uh, you know, a couple other things in here and there, but the value of just the sleep in itself and yeah. using that as a building block for all the other things is amazing. Yes, it is. And I've learned the hard way there too. I mean, I, uh, I, I mean, my struggle in the service was, um, more mental health focused. I had an, actually had an eating disorder and, you know, unfortunately society still, I think there's a degree of like, people just don't understand it. I mean, it's like alcoholism or drug addiction. Um, but that was my mental health condition and I was easy to hide it because you don't get pulled over in trouble for, you know, restricting or binging and purging. Um, but I didn't, you know, I was a 22 year old, not really excited to be a Marine, but put so much pressure on myself to be the best and look the best. And, you know, um, and, you know, I don't fit the stereotype of an eating disorder of like rich, wealthy, white females. I mean, I'm white. Yes. But like the, the, um, you know, I grew up in actually a very poor home and with my brothers and father and very performance driven. And, and we found just through my own personal development and then also working with other health pros in the mental health field that many of us who are high performing have mental health conditions and struggle with addiction. And so, you know, sleep, when I went to, to work with the first, my first exposure to mindfulness was through a biofeedback um, met mindfulness meditation coach. And he always asked me about my sleep, like, and, and over time worked with me to improve my sleep, which therefore improved my mood very much. So like, I didn't, I totally like, didn't respect sleep enough, you know, and it's so easy to fall into the habit of, you know, um, like the drinking at night or the mass amounts of coffee or watching TV, right? Like, I think everyone can relate to that of just like, you don't want, you kind of want to numb at the end of the day and not connect. Um, and the thing is, is, uh, the way to not to the way to help counter that, right. Is to not be afraid of going to see someone for help first, especially if you need it. Like I still work with a counselor. And the second thing is, is like make small steps to change one thing at a time. Like it took me a year or two of recovery to get my body back in homeostasis balance after kind of in the recovery phase of my eating disorder. It just took a long, it took a while, but two years of the scope of plant in the, in the grand scheme of my life is in a big amount of time. I am always in recovery, you know? Um, so, so the thing is, is like, if you want to change your sleep, you know, and a lot of people we work with on our mindfulness and meditation experience that John and I provide is like, that's a big topic right now in our group because people are dealing with all kinds of sleep issues. You know, we have people with systemic disease, people who, you know, want to numb at the end of the day, you know, we get that, we get it. Uh, however, <clears throat> like the first, you know, I am a firm believer in like changing one small thing at a time in your physical environment. So, you know, like, um, like meditation, of course, is a very calming thing for the mind and it's not, it's not only calming for the mind, but it's also calming for the body and it's a performance enhancer for the body. So you become more aware of your surroundings and the people around you and what you do. Um, <laughs> um, so I hear him at the door. Um, thank you everyone for sense of humor. Um, but the, uh, so you set yourself up for success, right? Um, in starting in the morning, essentially, 
by getting your body outside and enjoying the naked, you know, enjoying having the naked eyeballs on the light. And then, you know, each day you start doing that and you see like, oh, wow, it, you know, at noon or one, I start to get a little tired, which is really normal for the way the circadian rhythm works. And then it like when dusk hits, then you start to get tired. Um, and then maybe you start to take away the amount you drink right at night, um, over time or the amount of coffee. Um, but little steps, like, I think that's a really important message for veterans. It's not all or nothing. Like, and, and if you really feel like you have an addiction, which is so common, you know, to, to have the functional alcoholism, essentially that you just find yourself drinking every night just to numb, like, no, that's, you're not alone, but to get help for that. Um, and then to be part of a group of people who can support you because I mean, shoot, we all, we all have it. I used to be a food addict now that I became a workaholic and then, you know, we can bounce from thing to thing. But um, ultimately, it is hard to change your behavior, but it is so worth it because at the end of the day, when you wake up and you can feel happy about what you're doing in your life um, and the more empowered you feel, the less likely you'll want those things to numb. And so I think it just like pain, you know, physical pain, you can kind of look at this emotional pain too. And this like man, F it. Like I'm just in this like roller coaster and I don't know how to get out. Like see that as a sign, an ally of like, I gotta, I gotta change some things. Cause if I want to live a full life, which I would hope everyone listening would want to, wants to, but the fact that maybe they aren't yet, that's okay. But there is a way to get there. Yeah. I'm glad you brought it up too, because I read that part in the first, I think it's in the early sections of your book when you talk about you know, going and uh, it was in when you're in Iraq in the early parts of Fallujah, or at least you were there a couple of years before I was there. Yeah. Um, it really resonated with me because my mom passed away at the age of 45 and I was stationed overseas for, from 1993 till 97. And so I remember anybody who's been overseas, you get to listen to lovely AFN commercials. Anytime there's a commercial in the United States, you listen to AFN commercials and they, you know, you, you listen to, you know, if you ever have, if you ever need assistance, go see the chaplain. You hear it ad nauseum over and over and over again. So when my mom passed away at the age of 45, you know, I was starting to go down a little bit of a spiral. And so, yeah. and, and I was probably, what, I mean, my mom was like 20 years older than me. So I was, you know, 25 or so. So I said, you know what? And I'm not a spiritual or I'm not a religious person. You know, I don't attend church every Sunday like I should. Yeah. Uh, so, but that's, that's what was available. It was either mental health or the chaplain. Yeah. So, obviously the latter, you know, because uh, so I would go, I said, you know what? I'm going to do what AFN says. I'm going to go see the chaplain. So off I went down this, go see the chaplain and walk in there and the guy says to me you know hey what's your you know what's, what's what do you want to talk about and i said well you know uh i lost my mom she died of cancer she's really young and i'm having issues with this and he says well you know what pastor riggs it's kind of like you know when you cut your arm off with a chainsaw you just learn to deal without it and i was like well that's <laughs> it he's like yeah that's it well you want to talk about anything else and i'm like no sir i guess i don't okay then you have a nice day and that was it and i walked out and that yeah. can that probably accelerated a downward spiral for me and so i eventually did get in trouble and i was fortunate enough to be at a command where i was at a joint command at that time where i had some really strong mentors when i did get in trouble finally for the downward spiral i was in they grabbed me by the shirt collar and said pull your head out of your ass you're better than this and set me on the path that I end up crossing the finish line here in three days for. So oh, that's amazing. You know, thankfully yeah. I had those types of mentors back then that that got me on the on the straight and narrow and I was able to pull myself out along with their foot in my ass. But you know, what you were saying in your book in the initial uh, chapter, I believe, you know, really resonated with me when you go to especially earlier on in the early two thousands, you know, and for me in the in the late nineties where the 
they just weren't responding to, you know, that don't say anything or, you know, just suck it up yeah. and compartmentalize everything. I mean, I think, you know, we even talked about it with John on, on that episode. And I know a lot of us in special operations talk about, you know, we compartmentalize the shit. I know I still have stuff to unpack when I eventually, you know, later on, but, yeah. and that's, I think that's just a constant process you got to go through as, you know, as you continue on with life, but it's not that way. People need to understand it's not like that anymore. You know, I, from, I get in front of the EOD uh, leadership classes as a senior leader in the EOD community. And I'm very forthright with the, my journey and how probably when, I know when I was Trevor's um, leading chief petty officer, how I would tell those guys, you know, just suck it up. We're not going to mental health. There's no way in hell we're going to do that, you know, cause we're never going to be able to deploy again. They're going to take our clearances or whatever, you know, I would say I'm very close to 180 degrees away <laughs> from what I was in 2007 and 2008 when I was leading those guys, you know, so, uh, and we've come a long way altogether societally, I think, yeah. and also professionally. Oh, Mike, thanks for sharing. I mean, it's, uh, there's those landmarks, you know, encounters really, their encounters, like that encounter with your chaplain happened to now that I've done a ton of personal development and education, like happened to so many. Um, and, you know, I can look back and there's still a bit of anger in the way that, I mean, I, you probably read and thank you for reading my book too. Um, uh, that the, my encounter with the chaplain, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, everything was fine until I admitted I had an eating disorder. And then it was just like, okay, like, you have a hard time eating brownies or something like it was so disheartening, you know, and that is the response I got a lot of from society in general. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, but I, at this phase, and I think for you both at your phase, this phase in your life too. And I know John can relate to having this kind of 180, you know, almost transformation. Like he's, you know, we were just speaking to like the FBI, like, the FBI, Rocky Mountain Command College, which was run by the FBI, but like all the law enforcement in Colorado and like getting everyone to meditate in there and like be vulnerable. I mean, that was just like, we walk in, you know, and everyone's very stoic and we've heard very cynical and everyone left laughing and like hugging and shit like that. It was so great. You know, and we both looked at each other like this would not have happened, you know, years ago for both of us. And even me as a leader, like when I was a Marine officer, I mean, I was, I, I think I was a damn good one, at least on paper and my Marines even keep in touch with me to this day. However, I like, didn't want to admit my weakness, you know, like I, I covered up my illness really well. And I didn't want anyone to know that what was going on, even when I left, like I couldn't admit to anyone that I had, I think I told everyone I had a heart issue because I just couldn't come I didn't even respect my issue enough to like acknowledge it. And so, um, but it, now I do, now I'm able to speak about it, but in a position of strength where, you know, I, I found I've come a long way to do my own personal development. I wouldn't be actually doing this work today had it not been for that <laughs> kind of that experience in my life. Um, but one of the biggest things that has really helped with these landmark situations um, and you can, you'll read about some of the landmark situations in my book, like mother passing, right. It's a huge, huge change. I mean, I was very close to her. She was the protector of our family. Um, and so when she passed, it was like, okay, gloves are on, let's compete. Like that's the way my family was raised was comp competition. And, um, uh, so, but the, but one of the hardest things I've learned and I'm still every day having to remind myself is forgive and acknowledge that everyone is actually doing the best they can. Even that douche D-bag chaplain, like if you want to admit it, like mm -hmm. he actually, I feel really bad for him. I feel really bad for my chaplain, not having like any awareness of humanity and the fact that people struggle. And the last thing you want to tell someone after losing their mother is, yeah, it's like cutting off your arm. Like that's, I feel really bad for people who are so disconnected like that. And it's actually you know, finally, if you're able to get to a position where you can say, you know what, 
I forgive you for the la- your lack of like even understanding. I'm not going to spend my time focusing on you anymore. Well, I'll pray for you, whatever you want to do, but I'm going to focus on people who get it. And um, I think that it's a very, it's a very powerful way to be. I mean, I worked with, even in my own business, right. Having done a ton of personal development, I worked with people who just don't get it and who need to be validated. And um, man, I mean, I've, I've worked with all kinds and I've chosen to work with them, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, all right, they are doing the best they can. That doesn't mean I have to continue acknowledging them or being around them next. Like the more you can learn to forgive and say, thank you, but no, thank you. And move on. Like the, like, basically I love the Rocky Balboa quote. Like it's not about you hitting back or how hard you hit. It's how hard you can get hit and get back up. Like we are going to get hit hard in life. I mean, I've gotten hit hard a lot and you both have, and my kids will. And I don't, I like, I just think like, oh man, I don't want them to get hit hard, but they are, they will. They're going to, it's hard being a human, like life, it's life is really hard and it doesn't always, it's not always hard, but like there are moments where it gets pretty hard. So you have to learn how to get hit hard. And, and that, that is where I think, you know, for, for the work I do, that's where the movement healing, the mindfulness work really is what we're about is helping you get hit hard and just getting back up like that story, you know, that story I told myself about the response I got about my eating disorder. I took that on as like, I'm a piece of shit. Like I have issues with eating. Like what's wrong with me? People are, you know, getting killed and losing limbs. And here I am with an eating disorder. Well, that's not the way to look at it, right? Like we all have our own stuff, our own hidden demons, as well as external demons. So like being able to forgive myself and I am not my eating disorder. I am Teresa, like a, a servant to people, you know, other veterans, other service members, other, other first responders to my family. Um, I am not my injury, right? I am not what that person told me I was. Um, and that takes, that's a journey to get to that point. But at, at least for me, it was, and I know for many, but it's really important to acknowledge like, all right, yes, this happened to me, but just because these people didn't know what the hell they were doing and yeah, they were doing the best they could, but they're not too smart, you know, and they're, they're, they don't really have it all together, but, um, like it's nice to finally, that's part of letting go is like decreasing your grasp on these stories that you told yourself because of what other people have told you. And then getting yourself back on this like healing path of like, no, I actually intuitively know how to help myself now. And I know the, I know how to look for the right kind of person to work with as a health professional. And I, I actually, I want to work with people who are compassionate people who maybe pra- like, I, I want to work with people who practice mindfulness now, because I know there's a level of awareness already that they're practicing on how they treat themselves. So therefore if they treat themselves, well, they're probably going to treat me better. I, anyway. yeah, you, as you were saying that, that made me think of an old, an old saying that I had heard a long time ago, or I forget who it was. They said, I can't, control all the things that happen to me throughout my life, but I can control how, how I respond to them. Yeah. Right. Yep. And I get that too. Like you're, you're talking about, you know, qualifying the people that, that you decide to help. I, you know, a lot of the same stuff that kind of applies to your line of work applies to me and my line of work in personal finance, because some people are, they're doomed to just, you know, stay where they're at, right? Because they, they can't, I talk about this all the time, the importance of, of mindset uh, when it comes to anything, whether it's working out or, you know, losing weight or practicing mindfulness or, you know, personal finance, you have to have that mindset to where I'm going to make this a priority in my life. And I have to, you know, take that stuff on board. What, what are the important things that I need to be focused on too? So it's funny when you can, when you can take care of that foundation, it's, it's amazing. Like all the different things you can do with that once, once you get into that, that kind of mindset too. Right. So, yeah, I can, I can, I can relate. And, and as far as like that, the help stuff, I think Mike and I have seen also, and probably you have too, of 
what happens when people don't take care of that stuff? Cause we've seen former teammates of ours who, you know, we knew we're like, yeah, these, these guys have issues, uh, you know, and, and they don't, they don't take care of them and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And instead of one of us, you know, stepping up and saying, Hey, you have a problem. We, we're, you, we're not, we're not going to wait for you to, to acknowledge it. We're telling you now you have a problem, right? You have to take care of this or, you know, you're going to lose your career or worse. And I I've seen that with people and we all say it too. You know, we watch people have that spiral and we say, Oh, you know, oh, it's, you know, who didn't see that coming? And I'm like, yeah, well, we're kind of the assholes in this equation, right? Because we saw it, we knew what was happening and, and we didn't do anything here. We talk about how much we all care about each other and things like that. But that's, that's the hard stuff to do, uh, yeah. you know, and it sucks. You might have to hurt somebody's feeling. They may be mad at you for a long time, but, you know, hopefully yeah. on the other side of that, uh, you know, when they, when they finally learn to take care of themselves, they can see like, Hey, you know what? you you were there for me when I really needed you and I just didn't appreciate it until now so well it is you know it's interesting I was at this um, leadership conference that John and I were at Um, a guy from Quantico came in he actually is a works at the um, I don't know uh, he he works at the academy I don't actually know what he does at the academy because I was only there for bits and pieces of his presentation but I did so one of the parts of his presentation was on like he was going over case studies of like situations where there needed to be communication within the units. And instead of the communication, you know, one person assumed this person knew what was going on or, you know, they were talking about said guy, actually one situation they said was they talked about a, a Marine, you know, a Marine who was in the police department and he um, was a great, you know, great officer and started, but started to really go downhill. And, um, you know, like he was, he was, could do no wrong. And then all of a sudden he was like really struggling, drinking a lot, coming to work disheveled. And everyone was talking about him like, oh man, what's wrong with that guy? Like, and come to find out, you know, he'd been going through a divorce and his wife was, you know, taking the kids away from him. Um, so he's dealing with all this stuff, but everyone was talking about him versus to him he ended up hanging himself. Right. And, and after the fact, you know, was this, oh man, we should have just sat him down and talked to him. Right. Like stuff like that happens. Um, or, you know, you put the handcuffs on someone this way, you know, palms facing, which is wrong versus palms away. Like say something like just, even if you, it's like, there's this, this culture, I think in the veteran culture too, of like you, there's pride. Right? I don't want to admit something's wrong because I always had, I used to have it all together. It's like, well, no, just speak up to say, Hey dude, doesn't that, but that, that, that should go the other way. Or like, Hey, is something off? Can I help you with something? Like, it doesn't have to be this big old conversation. It just is like, Hey, I want to, you want to go to lunch? Like, let's, let's, let's talk. Um, I think those things like as simple as that sounds goes a long way versus just, um, succumbing to pride of like, I don't want him to think this or think that or she to think this or think that about me versus just throw out that consideration and just go for it. Like can save someone's life. Um, and, and maybe they'll be mad at you, but, but that's not your fault. It's not your problem. The point is, is that now you planted a seed that someone cares about them. Yeah. Well, I know we were talking before we started recording about you know, skydiving, jumping out of the plane and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, going into combat and all that, all the things that we've all done, that takes a different type of courage, you know, to do what we did then to go and do these other things. I see that as a completely separate bucket of courage or whatever you want to call it, that it takes to do those things. And a lot of us may have, you know, what seems to be, a shit ton of courage to do these things that other people will go. There's no way in hell I'd do that. Oh, there's a bomb down there. There's no way I could go down there and do that where we, we'd be like, point me in the direction. Where is it at? Sure. I'll go there. Oh, you you want me to jump out of that plane? Sure. Let's go do that. Uh, We're going to go breach that target and go after that high value, you know, 
target that we're supposed to, you know, the Intel is solid on. Sure. Let's do it. You know, yeah, we do that all day long, but then somebody says, Hey, you know, uh, that guy, you need to go and tell that person that they have a problem and hurt their feelings or pull them off the line and, you know, tell them they can't deploy or, you know, just to, to do that or to do yourself, to do it yourself is even worse. It takes even more courage, I think, you know, so yeah. that's, it, it, you know, it may seem like it's the same type of courage, but I think it's completely, it's a completely different language. It's a completely, I don't know what it is, but it's a completely separate thing, but it's, it's, uh, it takes a whole different, wherever you draw it upon or draw it from, it's a completely separate thing. And I think people get confused that everybody thinks that we're all these tough, you know, people who've done all these courageous things that it should be just easy to go and just as courageous to go to mental health. Well, no, it's not, to, it's not the same yeah. thing. Well, it's um, that you bring up a good point, right? Like it's uh, like I always, you know, when people ask me now, cause I used to work in the, I used to train and for CrossFit, like I would travel the globe, like teaching these CrossFit classes um, when I first became a PT and, you know, I'd be helping people um, push press and, you know, improve their snatch and their clean and jerk and things like that which to be honest, I could give two shits about. Um, but I was doing it because I like to help people move better. And if that was the population that would listen, great. I should say, I, I don't, what I care about now is that people can do, they can move, bring their arms over their head, touch their toes, do some squats, but also be kind. Don't be an asshole, you know, yeah. like, so, um, my point is, is that, um, the, the, the work that we did we were brave to sign up and do what we did. It took courage to do what we did, to fit, to lean in. And it takes courage to lean in and throw out considerations of what people think and to let go of our pride to take care of ourselves. And it is, it actually is harder, right? It's not as action packed. I think I, I was teaching for um, this FitOps organization not too long ago in Bentonville and a soft member got up and was sharing his story. He just got out and it was like, I don't know if I'm ever find this kind of intensity again, or this way of living, like I miss it. You know, it was right when um, the events in Afghanistan started, started to unfold, right? And a lot of guilt and like need to serve, which I think all of us felt, felt. And um, he, and, and that's the thing is the courage to take a introspective look now and say, all right, I don't necessarily need to go back in, but how else can I serve? Um, and how else can I provide myself this, not necessarily level of intensity, but interaction and service to others like I did before. And also learn to accept that this is, that I have a family now and I, I still can serve fellow veterans. It's going to look different. Um, I can still be very happy. It is, it does take a lot. I think a lot more courage to do that. I think it takes a lot more courage, even for the average Joe to admit they have a problem or admit they need help and put themselves first before everyone else. I think that is a human thing. And so, um, but I think for veterans, for service members who are so committed to the mission and driven, and you know, when you do, when you're just driven and you just go, 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 you don't really like, why stop and think about yourself? I mean, yeah, it could definitely make you a better warfighter, but in the end of the day, you can still accomplish a mission. Like I found I could still accomplish a mission at 70% of my mental capacity. Um, however, if I wanted to be hundred percent, I had to get self, I had to take care of myself. And also yeah. I was really, I was worried that I would hurt someone else because of my lack of attention to detail. You know, I, but I was, I was, so I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I do, I think that should, you know, everyone listening should understand that there is, it's your level, you're being able to serve is a very brave thing, but the brave thing that you can do now as a veteran is like live a wholehearted life, which I'm quoting Brene Brown there, but like that means tapping into what makes you tick, what makes you happy, take care of yourself and allow to get, allow yourself to get help. <clears throat> yeah. And I think too, you know, we always want to do something that's bigger than yourself or be something that's part, you know, greater than yourself. I think that applies to your family life as well too, because if you're, if, if you're still a, a train wreck or you're still yeah. you know you, you're still you know you still need a lot of help 
going and getting that help can have, I think, a generational effect, uh, even multi-generational effect of you seeking that help and getting that help can can pay off for generations. Not only the one, yeah. the, your current one, but the, your kids and their kids and and so on and so forth. I, I think, you know, so I think you're still being a part of something bigger than yourself when you go and do that and seek that help. And you're, you're still, you're still being a, you know, you know, doing that courageous thing and, and still being a something, you know, bigger than yourself by contributing to the team. Yeah, I 100% agree, Mike. Like the family thing is, I mean, now that I have children, a four-year-old and a 14-month-old, I, I, and even with my husband, like, I mean, we've been married for eight years and gone through our own ups and downs, but, but ultimately like with the mindfulness work I've done and the, um, the training, the aware level of awareness I've done, the asking for help has brought us closer together and also more mindful parent with my kids. So like my reactions to them are indicative of who, what's going on with me. And so it's been a real good, like mirror of like, okay, check yourself, Teresa, before you lash out at your kids, right? Because are you really angry that you have to wipe his butt? <laughs> He's four, yeah. you know, or whatever it is going on. Like it's, it's, um, it's made parenting more fun, you know? And like, and here's a little tip of evidence for everyone out there. The more present you can be on any given task, the more, the happier you'll be. And when you are, when you actually take action in your life, it will breed motivation. It'll kind of start releasing those hormones of motivation, dopamine, there's the serotonin, there's oxytocin, there's um, epinephrine, norepinephrine. Like there's lots of things that from taking action will help you. But I, I have noticed that, you know, maybe sometimes I don't feel like moving or I don't really want to play with those Legos. But if I put my phone away, right, and and clear my vision to just be present with my kid and interacting with him, like I'm happier. And or if I just go put on my shoes, stop, you know, rationalizing why I shouldn't go lift up that iron bell, kettlebell, and just go do it and start swinging it around, something good's gonna happen. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. But it really does make a huge difference when you when you know that and you start to apply that. That's where like the micro steps, the domino effect can really come into play. Um, so yeah, thanks for that, Mike and Trevor. Yeah. And see, it's easy for me because I love playing with Legos and uh, those connects and all that stuff. <laughs> but, you know, I know we're, we're winding down here. Uh, yeah. We're almost done with time. But if there was something that you could tell somebody as, as it relates to movement or maybe just a few pieces of advice, um, in order to help God, you know, folks have transition out, kind of live better lives. What would you tell them? Well, so first of all, I would say, find, find a tribe that you can connect with. So immediately create that connection elsewhere. I did not do that to be honest when I got out. Um, but there are groups out there, right? There's lots of different groups. And if you need kind of a insight into those, like email me, Teresa.larson at movement-arcs.com. You maybe can put that email on the show notes. Yep. Um, I mean, I, John, my business partner and I created this mindfulness and movement experience, and we do have a tribe aspect to it, which can support you. It's just there. If there's movement, healing, meditation, it's just banter back and forth shares, like do what you want in it, but there's a support network. We created it for ourselves, but also for you. Um, so that's one option is find a tribe that works for you. And it might take you a minute to find that tribe, but just don't give up on finding it. Um, the second thing is, is, you know, um, in terms of movement is, you know, remember that your training isn't going to look like it was in the service. So accept the new normal and just start, you're going to have to do movement on your own. You, you, maybe you'll join a class. Maybe you'll join classes. Maybe you'll be working with a PT, but just do something each day. And it could look like what you were doing in the service, or it could just look like 10 minutes of moving your body, doing some squats. And I know veterans have a lot of knee issues and low back issues. So let me just tell you how to do a squat. Okay. I don't know if you show this video or not, but I'm just going to talk you through it. Okay. So pretend like 
there's a dirty toilet behind you, okay? When you squat, your toes are pointed forward. You drive your hips back, like you're squatting, you're shutting the door with your hips. You're driving your knees out, sit down in the chair and get back up. It's the best way to squat where your knees don't hurt you and your knees don't actually draw forward too much and you actually load your hips. So, you know, when you squat now, just think, squeeze the butt just a little bit, not so much that a credit card couldn't get between the cheeks, but just hard enough. Shift your hips back, drive your knees out, sit down and get back up. You can do that with load, no load, whatever, but it'll take the load off of your knees and also strengthen your hips. So call it box squatting. So the, the hips will help um, with the low back tenderness that you may feel. Um, so that's like a movement drill. And then the third thing is that I would re re recommend finding some stillness and quiet in your day not on the toilet. Okay. Something away from that. Yeah. It's going to be still and quiet because you will actually eliminate whatever you need to more effectively. Don't bring your phone into the bathroom. All right. That's maybe the third thing. The fourth thing is find some stillness and quiet outside of the bathroom and just like enjoy looking out at nature, right? Enjoy just breathing, like just being aware of where you are in space with no distractions. For some of you, that might be really hard. So you have to create space. I go into my bedroom. I go outside away from my house, right? You can do it. But even if it's five minutes, that will significantly decrease your blood cortisol levels. So one, find your tribe. Two, um, move, even if it's 10 minutes, right? Just do something and acknowledge that you are in a new normal. So don't try to be doing the same PT exactly the way you did before. Do a little different, join a class, join a group, whatever. Um, the third thing is don't bring your phone into the toilet, relax. And the fourth thing is, you know, um, find that stillness and quiet each day. Awesome. Good stuff. Yep. We'll yeah. put that we'll put those steps out too. So Teresa, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, chat with us. We know you got some other commitments, uh, so we want to be respectful of that, but we appreciate you coming on and, and taking the time to share, share the knowledge with us. Well, thank you, Trevor and Mike. I appreciate you both. I'm sure our paths cross at some point. Now it's just, now we're in a different, we're in a new normal. Look at this. <laughs> yep. <laughs> thank you both for your service. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Great talking with you. All right. You too. Bye, Take gentlemen. Care, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Get to Vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, Email us at Mike or Trevor at gettovet.net. That's get the number two vet.net. And let us help you get to vet.